Hi, I'm Mark Rodman. Coming up, North Carolina families struggle to find baby formula. We'll get the latest from the General Assembly, and Donald Trump leaves Biden and Harris in 2024 matchups. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by. Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Colin Campbell, editor of the North Carolina Tribune, Donna King, editor-in-chief of Carolina Journal, and Nelson Dollar, senior policy advisor at North Carolina Speaker of the House. Donna, let's begin with the baby formula crisis. Absolutely, and I think unless you have a baby in the house, you really don't understand how serious, how, how much panic there's been over a baby formula. Infants, on average, use about one can every four days, and the Attorney General now says they're seeing price gouging. There was one instance with a can of formula going for $158. Uh, it's outrageous, and, and I think what we're really seeing is a utter failure by the FDA in managing this whole thing from beginning to end, from the first inspection to getting it reopened. Um, ultimately, now what we're seeing the North Carolina Retailers Association says we are getting some supplies back. Uh, it's showing up in stores again, but now what we're seeing is it can't stay on the shelves. Uh, people are buying it even if they don't need it to resell it. They're stocking it. They're worried it's going to happen again. Um, I can't believe what I'm seeing, frankly. I mean, you know, this is North Carolina and it's in many cases big cities this is uh, America. with like lots of access. And, right. and, and I think that this is just the beginning. Um, there are also rumors that there's going to be, uh, you know, shortages and rationing on other things, particularly as uh, items that come from petroleum, like fertilizer, become more and more scarce. This is an ongoing problem, and I think right now with baby formula, um, it's sort of become an idea of what could be coming down the road. Uh, but we are seeing it come back into stores. But in, in, if we're living in a time where we can't feed our infants, what's next? Mitch, should uh, the government been more proactive? They saw this coming. Well, they certainly did. We know that uh, North Carolina's Senator Richard Burr really came out and said that uh, the Biden administration and the FDA had dropped the ball on this, that there were signs of baby formula shortages last fall, and that by February it was clear that this problem was going to be coming, but nothing seemed to be done. It also points to the fact that this is a case where the government is way too involved in a market. When the government gets involved and, and well, sets too much government in general, you think? Well, there's certainly too much government in general, but in this case, there certainly is because the government sets very strict rules on what formula can be used, where you can get it, how you can get it, when you can get it. Once the government steps in, in a way like this, things have to work very well and be right on top or you're going to run into problems where you're going to have a thing like a shortage. Colin, is this a political issue in November, you think? Uh, potentially. Uh, it's one of those things that sort of affects a fairly small percentage of the population. So if you're a mom who's been driving two hours to find formula, you're probably still going to be thinking about this and thinking about who you want to blame come November. Or if you're the dad who's married to the angry mom. Yeah, <laughs> if you're doing the driving, exactly. Um, if you're not in that category, perhaps it's an issue that you're really only thinking about when it's on the news and we may be on to the next shortage by November. Nelson, way in here. Well, 
Here's Biden's problem. The issue came to light in January, and it wasn't until mid-May that the White House began scrambling for a solution. So a plant that produces 16 percent of the nation's supply of baby formula, you can't just have a recall and then the FDA sit idle for three months, that plant, and not move on anything. They should have been, the regulators should have been in there to resolve the problem 24-7, if that's what it required. And they should have immediately opened up the U.S. market to European and other manufacturers. And I think the... Well, is there a quality control if you get it from uh, Europe? Uh, well, there are some suppliers there would be, but there are certainly suppliers in Europe who can give you top quality baby formula. I think the Europeans know how to manufacture that. And I think that the, broadly the problem for the president is it sort of reinforces the narrative that he's never on top of these issues, that he's always Great reacting. Point. He's being driven by events. Donna, wrap this up in about 30 seconds. I mean, I really think what you're seeing is a... Is a that a need for a free market approach to everything, not just baby formula. And airlifting, taking a military, you know, C-17 to bring in uh, a million baby bottles worth of baby formula one time and pose in front of it for, for a photo op isn't going to resolve this problem. Let's change gears, talk about the General Assembly's week, Colin. Yeah, so they're finally uh, back and in full swing this week. Uh, and the, the hot topic, uh, particularly on the Senate side, has been Medicaid expansion. It was sort of bizarre uh, this week to sit in a, a press conference in which Senate Leader Phil Berger uh, gave a full-throated endorsement of Medicaid expansion as the right policy. Of course, that's a policy that Governor Roy Cooper has been, and Democrats have been pushing for years. Republicans across the board have been opposed to. And now we're seeing movement in the Senate, granted, with the caveat that they've put in a bunch of other sort of free market sort of conservative changes to the healthcare marketplace attached and say those are essential components to make this work. Um, but it's it's still a, a significant shift. Now, granted, it's a shift that's probably not going to go super far because the House Speaker, Tim Moore, has already said he's not willing to bring Medicaid expansion up. He said that last up. week here. Yeah, he said that last week here. He said it again this week. Um, he says, you know, maybe next year when we have a long session, we could take up an issue that compl uh, complicated. But there's just not nearly as much support in the House for it. So it, it may be sort of a, a dead issue in a couple weeks. Mitch, what have you been following? Well, there's that issue, and I think one of the things that's interesting is that it's not just a, what you call a clean Medicaid expansion bill, where that's the only issue. There were other things added to it, like scaling back the certificate of need law, having more telehealth services, also allowing advanced practice nurses to practice to the full extent of their training. But there are a lot of concerns among people on both sides of the aisle about all of those issues. So lumping them together makes that a harder sell. Another big thing that we saw was this uh, Parents' Bill of Rights. Right. Thanks for the bringing that up. Yeah. The Locke Foundation had put forward a Parents' Bill of Rights. It was a little bit different because we focused more on, in, in our uh, uh, proposal, on making sure the parents know what's going on in the schools. There's some of that in the Senate's plan. Plus, they also added in a piece that said no curriculum about gender-related issues for anyone from K through 3, which is the one that has been latched upon by the opponents of this bill, saying that it's kind of like that Florida don't say gay law, and uh, people saying ma that's maybe this that's, is... That's, that's, they talk about it as uh, don't say gay law. That's right. That's, but that's, it's not in the legislation. That's definitely not in the legislation, but it's being compared to this, and some of the critics are also saying, oh, you're revving up the HB2 issues again. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Donna, the governor will veto that bill, though, if it goes through both houses, right? 
I think that it, he would uh, likely do so. I think that the issue that we're seeing, though, is that this bill uh, has some similarities, but this is a trend that we're seeing across the country. I mean, we've got 26 states considering legislation very similar to this, and this is really something that stems from parents' frustration, and a lot of it related to COVID and online school and suddenly seeing what their kids are learning in, in classes and this collapse of a government-run um, public education system. And parents are now coming in and saying, my kid's not going to be the experiment. Uh, my child is going to have some options. And if I can't move them and, and if I'm forced to stay in my neighborhood school, I'm going to have a say in what goes on there. When are we going to see a budget, Nelson? Well, we hope to see a budget before late June. Uh, I can tell you. Well, the budget process is the top issue. Uh, it's well underway. Appropriators from both chambers are working together on what's called a budget conference report. That's going to shorten the process. Uh, we are set to, uh, a target to have that budget done by late June. Revenues remain strong, uh, but on the one hand, inflation is incre increasing the cost of everything that you buy, whether it's asphalt, bricks, mortar, health care, employee wages. On the other hand, there's a risk of recession. Uh, that's on the rise. And uh, there's a concern about expanding programs right now until we have a better idea about where the economy is headed. The upside is we still have a lot of talented people and businesses coming to North Carolina, and we have the state reserves to weather a How downturn much is in the economy. The, uh, What's going on in the American economy and up in Washington impact our budget? Well, it does impact North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina is an extremely strong economy, is very well positioned, very well positioned with state reserves if we do have a down, downturn. But I expect when you look at all the bubbles out there in the economy, uh, we're probably headed toward a recession, and North Carolina is in position to try to weather that. Okay, I'm going to move on. There was a very interesting Harvard-Harris poll. Uh, looks like Don, Donald Trump is in good position for 2024, Mitch. We're in the midst of the 2022 midterm elections right now, but this Harvard-Caps-Harris poll already looks ahead to 2024, and you're exactly right that uh, in a head-to-head -head matchup between former President Donald Trump and current President Joe Biden, Trump would lead 47 to 41, and if for some reason the Democrats decided to run uh, Vice President Kamala Harris instead, it would be even better news for Donald Trump, a 49 to 38 lead in that head-to-head -head matchup. And I love these hypotheticals. That's right, and they're... they're other pieces of bad news for the party that's in power. 63% of those polled say the country's on the wrong track. 68% say the economy's on the wrong track. 56% say they're already seeing some bad signs in their own financial situation. So Biden gets pretty poor marks across the board, the only exception being the way that he handles COVID. The one other thing I'll mention before we get to some of the other uh, things from the other panelists is that if Trump does not run, who are the next in line to run for the Republican side? It seems like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is the number two pick uh, ahead of former Vice President Mike Pence. Colin, what struck you about the poll? You know, what was interesting to me most was they had a nice chart in there about the wrong track, right track uh, change. And it was funny, let's look, go back several years, there was only a three or four month period where more people in America thought the country was on the right track than the wrong track. And that was about a year ago when we were coming out of COVID, vaccines were out. We're a pessimistic country, and we, in many ways, are sort of going from one crisis to the other. Uh, so we're almost consistently blaming whoever's the president uh, on that particular year. Do you think Biden can recover, Nelson, before November? Pivot. 
No, he cannot. I mean, these trends have been building since last summer. So it's really locked in at this point. He very much looks like Carter ahead of the... Um, the uh, 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 1978 midterms, but the worst numbers uh, for the president are 53% of voters in this poll said that he was not mentally fit um, to, to run Democrats, for election. Republicans and independents, correct? Yes, sir. And 62% uh, of Americans of all, of all stripes saying he was showing he's too old. I mean, those are the kinds of numbers that uh, are going to stick with uh, President Biden. It's very difficult for him to overcome with any new different policies. You know, what stu uh, struck me down is the um, majority of the people really think the economy is in trouble. That's exactly right. About 35 percent approved of his handling of the economy in this poll. But a lot of the things that struck me about that is that these aren't things that will be turned around quickly. You know, we're talking about baby food formula shortages and disastrous foreign policy and, you know, five dollar a gallon gas. Those things can't, aren't really recoverable. We're not talking about a one-time crisis or, you know, a bad story that leaked and, and hurt him. These are ongoing problems that could create a generational level uh, problem. And I heard one reporter say that they're looking at extinction level for some Democrats on the Hill. Mitch. One of the things that's uh, very interesting here is if Joe Biden is mentally unfit, if people don't think he's uh, able to run for office again, well, you'd think the next best candidate might be the vice president. But we saw from this poll, Kamala Harris does even worse. But did uh, you see California Governor uh, uh, Newsom, yeah, Newsom endorsed her for as being the next president or run for next uh, time? He must not have looked at this poll. Gavin <laughs> uh, Newsom could be a candidate. But the thing is, the Democrats, because they have the incumbent and the incumbent could run for reelection, we really haven't seen enough of them get out and say, I'd like to be the next candidate. Roy Cooper's been getting an honorable mention, hasn't he? Yeah, and, you know, he pops up in a lot of these uh, national stories. I don't know that he has the name recognition outside of the state to really break through a pack, but he might be a vice presidential candidate at some point. Well, you know, it would be smart to put him on a ticket, I think. Right. He's well, stable, I mean, comes from a big state, sure. a key state. Well, and North Carolina has been economically stable for a long time. Whether you credit the General Assembly or the governor, he's been at the helm while it was stable, while it was growing, and lots of people coming here. And that name recognition this day and age for a Democrat may not be a bad thing. Nelson, you endorse that? <laughs> well, I think Wrap that, up I, I, certainly, if you are, if you're on the Democratic side, the numbers and where the economy is going and where we're going globally, I mean, if you look right now, the U Ukraine issue that looked like it might be a positive uh, for Biden, it, it, you know, in, a, in obviously a terrible way. Now, an AP survey came out this week to say just 21 percent have a great, quote, a great deal of confidence right. in the president's ability to handle the situation. And in I Ukraine. neglected to mention Reuters has him at a 36 percent job approval for Biden. But I want to move on, talk right back to you. There are great stories coming out of UNC this week. Talk to us about it. Uh, yes, the class of 22 has graduated, and the chancellor at Carolina described them as those who persevered. Uh, if you think about how the country uh, and the world have changed since the fall of uh, 2018, the uncertainty of where we're headed, term perseverance, uh, the ability to weather storms, uh, overcome the challenges, might be the most, most uh, valuable lessons for those graduates. The chancellor also noted that uh, 788 graduates were first-generation college students. And when you look at system-wide, the UNC system, uh, uh, all the campuses right. around the state, last year, 17% or some 8,000 uh, students were first-generation graduates. And I think that really speaks to the importance of having a society and building a society with opportunities for all, 
um, where you succeed and your ability to move up is based based on your merit and having an educational system that that will do that. And I think it's a great story for for the U.S. Certainly for North, uh, a tremendous strength for North Carolina. Talk to us about the pharmacy grant. Yes, the Ready program. That's the rapidly emerging antiviral drug development initiative. General Assembly put I'm glad in. You had to say. Uh, yes. <laughs> the General Assembly put in $18 million. They've leveraged that now with a $65 million federal grant, and that builds on our ability both at Chapel Hill, Duke, and other, uh, other research facilities around the state to move forward with a whole new class of antiviral drugs okay. to deal with pandemics in the future. Donna, way in here, you've had kids that had to persevere. I have, I have. I had two college students during COVID. One was a 2020 graduate, the other uh, faced online school. And I, th I love graduation season. I love all the excitement and, and the hope for the future. I am worried though about all of those kids that are not graduating or maybe had to drop out of college because they went to online school and they chose a university because online school doesn't work for them and they were faced with a year and a half of online classes and then trying to gear back up uh, and pay for college and security fees for a campus that was closed and gym and tickets and all the things they had to pay for that they didn't get. And that's the, those are the ones, including my own family, that I, I worry about this time of year, particularly when I see uh, kids going out into the world and there's a lot of kids that may have been left behind. Mitch, in retrospect, did lockdowns work? Lockdowns in general didn't work. Uh, in some cases, you had to have them at least for a while until we figured out how to deal with this, but lockdowns in- Because you were dealing with the unknown. Exactly, but lockdowns in general, certainly for an extended period of time, didn't work. I think one of the things that's interesting about this university picture, we learned from the Department of Public Instruction about the learning loss that happened in the K-12 schools because of uh, all of the COVID situation, months to perhaps even a year of loss in some respects. We don't have similar data from the UNC system System, but I'm guessing that there are some students who have been set way back because of this. Colin, wrap this up in about 40 seconds. Put it in context. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, a situation where you have, uh, on one hand, some good success stories. A first-time graduate, some of that's due to the strength of the community college system in the state. Some of that's uh, due to other programs that are out there, like the $500 tuition grants that, at several of the public universities. Uh, but there's a lot of recovery that has to occur, uh, and some folks are going to be graduating a few years after they expected to as a result of all the COVID mess. Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, Mitch. The John Locke Foundation, my employer, has put out its latest Civitas poll this week, and there are a number of interesting findings. First, the big marquee matchup for the election is the U.S. Senate race, and we have in this poll uh, Congressman Ted Budd, the Republican-leading Democrat Sherry Beasley, 44 percent to 42 percent, with two third-party candidates who are included in this, and they get about 2.5 percent together in the two matchups for the state Supreme Court. Is that going to be about a $20 million race? Oh, it's going to be a big race. We know a lot of money is going to flow. Excuse in. me for interrupting. Yeah, me. no, a lot of money is definitely going to flow into this race. In the two state Supreme Court seats, which will be important for determining control of that court, Republicans in good shape now with four and six point leads. And then we also, because it's been in the headlines, both nationally and on the state level, looked at abortion and uh, asked some questions about abortion. Very nuanced views. More people say they're pro-choice than pro-life. And 51% don't want the Supreme Court to overrule Roe. But if you uh, ask people details about what they think about abortion, only 23% think it should be legal in all circumstances. 70% would accept some sort of restrictions. Colin, underreported. 
Yeah, so this is probably bad news for uh, state Democrats. Uh, the North Carolina Green Party is uh, within spitting distance of getting their candidates back on the ballot for the fall. They have to get uh, at least about 13,000 validated signatures from registered voters to have the status in which they can put their candidates on the fall ballot. This is a state where it's really hard for third parties to, to get that kind of traction. And they're getting really close. Uh, we'll know in a couple of weeks if they've got it or not. Uh, but that could pull a couple of percentage points away from Sherry Beasley in the fall because the Greens do have a U.S. Senate candidate who may pull some uh, support from folks on the left. Donna. Uh, one of the things that I know, I've known uh, anecdotally, we've talked about a lot on here, is that uh, North, the real estate market in North Carolina is really hot. Prices are going high. There's multiple offers for every house. Well, it turns out that we are actually in the top 10. Two of North Carolina cities are in the top 10 nationally for real estate. the real estate market. Raleigh is number three nationally, and Charlotte is number nine in 2022 rankings. Which begs the question, how are young people going to get into the well, market? Exactly, and I think that's one and of the questions. And all these new folks coming in, I mean, they're coming in from Burlington and everywhere. Sure. They can't afford to be in Raleigh, it's right? It's tough. It is really difficult. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing is a regulatory environment around land use and some of these other things is preventing is preventing some of that housing from becoming more available. Nelson. Uh, President Biden in Japan making news this week, including his claim that higher gas prices are part of an incredible transition away from fossil fuels, which really raises the question, uh, can American families prosper without affordable gas and oil? And the answer, frankly, is no. Our economy is based on low-cost energy uh, that we can readily access here in the United States. We've yet to see an, a realistic plan for how to transition away from gasoline and diesel that is affordable, that addresses the complex uh, global supply chain issues necessary if you're going to go to an all-electric fleet. But people should not be surprised because he stated on a campaign trail he was going to end fossil fuels. That's right. But and their problem is, is they have technology, but they don't have a plan to actually make that happen. You don't have the base generation. What is and, he trying to do? Change habits? Everybody buy an EV car? Well, they're trying to they're talking about everybody buying an EV car when you don't have the copper, you don't have the, the uh, palladium, you don't have the metals that you need, a number of which are actually mined in places like Belarus and Russia to be able to make that happen. They would be far better off if they focused on, for example, hybrid cars. You can take one battery for a fully EV car, break it up, break those components up and build four or five hybrids. That gets you uh, to a cleaner environment in a much quicker way, in a much cheaper way, maximize our natural gas, maximize our nuclear power for base generation. But there's really no plan out there for that right now. I think that energy is going to be a huge issue as we come into the midterms. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? My who's up is Eddie Buffalo, who is the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Public Safety. Had a confirmation hearing before the Senate and really got high marks all the way around, including his handling of a controversial law enforcement-involved shooting in Pasquotank County. My who's down, perhaps after a while he could be get, get this award named after him, Madison Cawthorn. Not only did he lose his primary election, but now the fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has said, yes, the State Board of Elections can take you off the ballot if it finds against you. Okay, my friend Colin. So who's up this week? Uh, Alan Buonzi is a guy, a Democrat in uh, Chapel Hill, who won his House primary. Normally he'd have to wait until January to start serving the State House, but he's actually going to start next week uh, because uh, longtime State Rep Verla Insko is going to step down ahead of the end of her term. Uh, down, I've got uh, Confederate General Braxton Bragg. His name is uh, likely to be coming off of Fort Bragg in the coming months, replaced with Fort Liberty. Uh, obviously his, uh, How his, does that happen? 
in Congress? Uh, the recommendation goes from a naming committee to Congress, which I think finalizes it, and that does to, ought to happen by the end of the year. Donna, who's up and who's down this week? Uh, up, I'm going to say parents who want more access to what's going on in the classroom. We talked a little bit about this, a parent's bill of rights. This particular bill would require schools to uh, make that, come up with a system to make parents uh, aware of everything from curriculum to health care to what's happening with their children. Um, it be online? Uh, it, well, it depends on the school system, and, and that's going to be a heavy lift for some of these schools that are strapped uh, with, you know, high turnover, or teachers retiring, things like that. So getting that process in place would be a challenge, of course, but it's something a lot of parents have been calling for across the country. My down Disney, uh, their stock plummeted this week and really dragged some of the Dow with it. Okay. Um, and I think that it seems like um, people are voting with their feet and Disney underestimated its core customer. Nelson, who's up and who's down this week? Uh, regulations, uh, whether it's energy production, the environment, labor issues, uh, immigration, the Biden administration has really impacted the bureaucracy to reassert its power uh, with an estimated cost to the economy now well over $200 billion in new okay. rules and regulations. You appreciate that, Donna. Uh, who's down? Gas prices possibly. Look for the president um, to have the option to ban the export of U.S. oil for up to a year. Uh, as gas prices rise this summer, expect more and more pressure on the president uh, to uh, right. have an export ban. It would drop oil prices in the U.S., but it would infuriate our allies. Mitch, headline next week. Memorial Day takes on special meaning as Americans watch Ukraine fight for freedom. Let me ask you this. Is it, are we $40 billion? Are, are we starting to get into mission creep in, 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 in Ukraine, somewhat well, it, similar it, to Iraq? It certainly seems like it could be that way. The Biden administration seemed to be very muddled on Ukraine. Headline next week. Uh, state House starts the move to legalize sports betting in the state. Does it happen? Uh, it sounds what like it's got the money. Uh, the odds are good for it. <laughs> Headline next week. Uh, I think the Senate will likely pass their Medicaid expansion bill they proposed this week. But then the pressure really gets on the House uh, to, to try and follow suit. But Speaker Moore says he doesn't see the appetite. Well, Moore, Moore wants to wait to the long session, right? That's right. Okay. More next week. Uh, well, to borrow from William Faulkner, okay. it's going to be a long, hot summer. Okay, that's it for us. Please pray for the families in West Texas. And on Memorial Day, please take time to honor those who gave their lives in defense of freedom. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by Patricia and Ku Yuen through the Yuen Foundation, committed to bridging cultural differences in our communities. And by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by Body Knoll Foundation, NC Realtors, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, and Helen Lockery. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.